Without a ball, it's just a court. And without your spirit, it's only a game. So, together with the fans, we bring our best. For your next pregame, let's share a twist on a classic. The Hennessy Margarita. A squeeze of fresh lime juice and a bit of agave syrup. Topped off with ice and a salted rim. Mix it, shake it, pour it. And enjoy the spirit of the NBA. Hennessy. Without your spirit, it's only a game. 21 and older, please drink responsibly. Good morning, good morning, and happy Friday. As you all know, I hope, we are dropping two times a week in January and on Fridays. We want to talk about business, culture, and the things we love. And according to ET, sex, love, and other drugs. And for the second drop of the two-drop era is none other than Dean Athanasia the president of regional banking for Bank of America, was fortunate enough to run into one of the execs from Bank of America at one of my business conferences, and we hit it off, and he suggested I should have a conversation with the president of regional banking for Bank of America. That led us to having some great conversations, conversations on, you know, how do we change uh, financial education, um, financial literacy, financial discipline, all things that we've been discussing since our inception of Point Forward. So we hope you learned some things and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Point Forward. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life. And that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. Of the game. Dre, since it's Martin Luther King week, man, we got to really take uh, take time and recognize, you know, one of our next great <laughs> black leaders. <laughs> and in this, and this is so few and far between that you really have to pay attention to it because, you know, when when is Ohio State going to get another great quarterback like C.J. Stroud to perform like he did this past weekend versus the Cleveland Browns. I believe he's the next great quarterback, a.k.a. the Black Tom Brady. Am I taking this too far or no? If it wasn't well, for MLK, uh, C.J. Stroud would not be able to play quarterback. <laughs> Is that too far? <laughs> first and foremost, C.J. Stroud is that good. So, Yeah, he is. Yeah. But I feel... Are you slighting Justin Fields in terms of Ohio State? Now, I don't want to take any of the way anything away from Stroud. Now, I do think Fields could be good, but is it just in Chicago? That's your team. But I like let's I mean I digress. We can keep it on Stroud for now. We'll come back to Fields. This dude threw some of the nicest dimes I've ever seen in his last game. And but there is another guy too. Gotta show him love. Oh. Damn. That's interesting how I just framed that. Jordan Love. Oh, he did his thing too. Yeah, but, but man, Dakota ain't shit, bro. Anybody could beat Dakota. I could beat Dakota over his, oh, in a playoff game. I don't know. I've been watching Love for quite some time. I've been watching Love for quite I, some time, I, and the way he, it's something that the Green Bay does with their quarterbacks. They ain't had a bad quarterback in decades. That's the true. same the same run that the Lions went the same losing run the Lions was on is the same run that the quarterbacks for the Packers have been on on the opposite 
great inside of things. It's crazy. And this dude got it. So him, I think him and Stroud yeah. are like the next ones. And we in the in the racial draft, we can can we have a racial draft in 2024? Was that in 04? You can only have that with Dave Chappelle. We we going to get love. That's all I'm saying. He coming with you us. You think so, bro? <laughs> bro, the Texas. No, Stroud, dude. I'm saying both of them with us. Right. Yeah, no, no, no. Absolutely. I'm just saying, but the only thing I'm saying, and it's different, like CJ Stroud is a rookie. He just took that oh, bump. I'm, he just got I'm rocking with you on that one. Yeah, yeah, bro. They they was weak as hell. Like, no, so that's funny. Even, bro, he's not even fast. He's literally basically what Daniel Jones should have been. He's basically a black version of Daniel Jones. Just competing. Like he ain't fast. He ain't like you understand what I'm saying? He legit is beating with his mind, his arm, and whatever niggas is out there, G. That's crazy. Bro, he figuring it out. And it's funny because uh, the the uh, for all listeners, ET left the group chat. It hurt my heart. It feels like I'm the only brain left. And nobody in the group chat supports the right. so so I can slight them. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> check me out. <laughs> check me out. Uh, Two live and Bernardo were arguing whether or not the Texans were good. And so I was, when you said that, I'm thinking Two live was saying, man, the Texans has got a squad. C.J. Stroud didn't do nothing special. And Bernardo's like Nardo saying he hates when I call him Bernardo. Nardo is saying. Are you crazy? CJ Stroud just put the team on his back. And so they're arguing, and Nardo goes like this. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. If you answer this question any type of way, if you answer it at all, then you win our conversation. Name one player on a Houston, Texas outside of CJ Stroud. Boy, it was like a lot, it was like a mic drop. I said, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and it was made, it was made, bring my next damn point, G. Niggas just be talking, bro. <laughs> but then, man, one nigga outside of Stroud, like, no, bro, the Texans been bad, like, for a minute, bro. Like, they lost all their great players leaving there. Why all them niggas, bro? So, like, when you're sitting there, it's like, bro, the Texans been bad for a minute. They lost their franchise, like, Deshaun Watson. It's true. Point. Forward. And so, so speaking of business and, and speaking on just being open and honest with your closest friends. That's how we should be with everyone. And in the business sense as well. ET has been speaking about being honest with your friends in their mixtapes since point forward's inception. <laughs> what ET, what have you said about the mixtapes coming from friends? Just so I can get some, I don't want to misquote you. <laughs> in regards to what? Like No, you just saying like I don't want to listen to your funky ass mixtape. Stop rapping. Like you wasting my time because oh, no. I'm listening to it. No, when we're sitting there and it's coming down to a certain age, my nigga, like I had to realize at 31, like, all right, basketball's over. Like at the tender age or whatever, it's like, no, it's over. Like, stop bringing this up. And it's not like in anything negative. It's just like, damn, my G, like, I'll be wrong for telling you to put your attention elsewhere because I care. And when I tell you stop rapping with mixtape, it's like, no, it's just like, no, just get like get your life taken care of, my nigga. Like a mixtape is just a metaphor for bullshit. You know what I mean? Like unless you have a path to get into where you want to go. So I saw something recently. Um Vince Staple was talking about he was interning and selling sweatshirts for Earl Sweatshirt. Like he was working on his merch. And then he was getting like five hundred dollars per diem uh, uh every two weeks. But then his Rent in uh, Long Beach was a thousand a month, so he was shacking it up with the security guard, like trying to make ends meet. That turned into 
he opened up for uh yeah it was his conversation with Elliot Wilson. I got the short clip. It was so dope. He was like yeah. that led me to you know I did something with uh it was an Ab Soul was one of the TDE guys. Like I got to open up for them for a hot second. But when he's with Earl Sweatshirt, you couldn't he had time to make music. So then he got on with Schoolboy Q, and then he was like part of the security crew there. Then he was just like mm-hmm. an intern somewhere else, and he was like he had to do all these odd jobs just to get on. But he had a plan. He had a mission. And that's how it came to fruition. He wasn't just sitting at home making mixtapes and just throwing them at his friends. And he said that too. He's like, you need people that are open and honest with you. He was like, I never gave my friends mixtapes because obviously they're going to tell you you're killing it. Speaking to our points. And so with that being yeah. said, y'all, last month, E.T. and I, we had a clip uh, kind of sent a shockwave through our, our former group chat when he, uh, he said it was crazy to own a Mercedes or a Rolex when you work a regular job. Shortly after, um, I was listening to the All In podcast, and I heard them speaking on the luxuries of each social economic class. And I wanted us to, we may not be able to break it down right now because we are a little bit removed. Uh, E.T., you had a uh, you had a great point to one friend, like, listen, bro, I don't know how much a gallon of milk is. Like, I'm sure you do. And, and so if you know certain prices of certain things, then that does price you out. Damn, that's a bar. I just thought of... Yeah, yeah, you know the price. If you know the price of gas or milk, that prices you out for certain things. Or, or am I being, what's the word? Am I out of touch with that sentiment? No, it's not being out of touch. It's just like not every argument is an argument, my nigga. Like we sitting here having a, a conversation, but I know I, I remember this is what I said. I said, yo, the statement I said was, yo, if you have a regular job and you own a Mercedes and a or a Rolex, like I would never do no shit like that. So when it's mm-hmm. coming down to you talking to me about like what's responsible, what makes sense, or any grand scheme of things, it's null and void if you tell me you grabbing a Rolex to sell, hopefully for three k down the line. Like you understand, I'm saying, or trying to mm-hmm. make like th- there's other ways to go about it besides just like whatever natural way it is. Now I'm just saying like yo, if if I were in that position, I wouldn't have it until I could fully mm-hmm. afford it. So like. As opposed to spending 10K or 12K on a Rolex, I might get a down payment on the building. You know what and I mean? I get, or like yes. try to or try to bring in some some other money to make sure or try to get stocks or whatever it is. It's like, bro, that's real liquid that in six months, if I put the money together, it would have been double or however long. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. Just, that was just my idea of saying, like, yo, like if you really are smart or really care about yourself, like you don't have time. To be having to be eating out at fancy restaurants if you struggling to make rent, my nigga. Okay. Like that's OD. Okay. Why? Like the, the statement was like, "Yo, if you have a Rolex," and I said, "Like, yo, you have a Rolex. I will hope you have a mortgage." Not everybody got that, my G. Then you hustling ass fucking backwards, my nigga. You're mad wild. There's no more conversation about that. And then that's why I left the group. I'm like, bro, but pretty soon, bro, I'm gonna get as dumb as this nigga because he's just talking to me. I'm allowing this nigga just to talk to me, G. So et. It, that that I couldn't say it any other any other way. It was beautiful. I would do want to break down the psychology of let's it. Let's do all. some some kind Psycho- stats. Like let's. Like, no, so I want to break down the psychology of it. situation. Okay, like yeah. all right, go ahead. No, let me let me let me. Okay, so it makes us want to come back and visit the topic, but it's kind of our version of adulting for dummies. And don't look at it look at it as a negative connotation because i read you know the s p for dummies or i read um you know mortgages for dummies i read all types of four dummies books you know so yeah. don't think about it in that vein but it's like jay-z said 
Y'all calling it bougie. I'm saying fine. I'm trying to give you a million dollars worth of game for free 99. We all balling on a budget. I am I am on a tight budget myself. Like I'm just going to be honest. I'm on a budget. Yeah, me and you. Yeah, shit. MS called me damn like we just about done fucking with you. Like you know what I mean? Like nigga. Like we on budget. So I'm not I'm not speaking amongst anything. I just be like, bro, to sit here and get upset and think like nigga, what I'm telling you is what I would do. Like you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like when I be sitting here, it's like, bro, you can't tell, you can't look at me crazy. Because I'm doing whatever, and nigga, you own a Rolex and a Mercedes, and you have a rent. We can't have a conversation moving forward, and it's not like anything going crazy, but that's not like disrespectful. But like, even when I was looking up certain things, talking about like the 110 rule, they said like, you should spend no more than one-tenth of your gross income on a purchase purchase price of a car. When you buy a car, you lose the opportunity to invest money in assets. So when you buy a car that you can't afford or too much... You have, you lose the opportunity to gain compound interest. Like you, you understand what I'm saying? Like yes, sir. And in and in 18 months, you could have had that car and an asset and been further off. Mm-hmm. As into chucking pe- pennies, trying to keep up with the Joneses. And it's like no matter what, like you see people be like, no, I want to. Uh, I don't know. That that just speaks a lot to me. I just say, like, if you're not where you're at, where you're supposed to be at, fuck the luxury shit, you're still on grind mode. And, and that's coming from somebody that's been on grind mode since they were a kid. Like, I didn't pop out with shit. You didn't see me pop out with shit till I was 25, 26 years old. Period, point blank. And I've been making millions for four or five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I get that sometimes, too, is, well, when do you decide to splurge and when do you decide to be cheap? I said it all depends on when I raise my level of where I want to go in life financially. <laughs> so if I if it yeah. increases, we got to stop spending for a little bit. Not we, but me just being generous to, to them, to others. And so, so yeah, I, yeah I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm I'm under the mindset if I'm not comfortable buying two or three of this, then I can't afford it. So if I can't just buy two, three of it right now, like if I can't afford three of that, then I shouldn't buy it. Maybe two. So. That's real. So what? So what's some tricks to the game? Like besides that, not like I can't afford to buy two Ferraris or this and a third. Like how do you go about saving on? I guess luxurious expenses that people feel like they deserve. Like is it something like flying Jet Suite X over flying a private jet? Is it yeah. something in regards to you? Know, you know what I mean? Like what? What? Yeah. How can you ball on a budget? You know, turn it into a finesse fest. I'm asking for my damn self and to speak because at the end of the day, like you look at some of the billionaires, when you go overseas, you hear stories of some business owners' teams, like their wives are buying fake Goyard. Oh, yeah. You were part of that conversation? Yeah. And when you break it yeah. down, those are the really ones that are up. And I'm just saying, I'm sitting here looking back, like, how do you not play yourself? By what mm-hmm. people think the social norms are, and being like, like, just, let's just get ahead, like, just get ahead and be like, all right, the mission not over when you buy a Rolex, my G, like that. Right, it's true. You it's know a what I mean? Point. Like that's where I, that's where I'm coming from. Like a Rolex is a celebratory gift when you up up, in my personal opinion, mm-hmm. or like a Mercedes is a celebratory gift in my personal opinion. It's like I don't want to be car happy or be house, you know, or be house wealthy, where like literally that's all I own. Mm-hmm. Like how could you? And when you sit here, it's like if you, and if you open up the door for that, bro, you add you walking ass backwards trying to do business, and you out here. The most important thing you own is your motherfucking car. G, kill yourself. You went to college and got a degree for that shit. 
This is what, what I'm spent. asking, people. Yeah, yeah. Like, y'all yeah. niggas went and got a degree. Like, I'm straight, and my teacher <laughs> own a Rolex, and that motherfucking, like, literally is not where they want to. Like, that's wild, my nigga. So I just be asking, like, pick and choose on what's right. Don't yeah. preach to me, but, like, I'll say, bro, I'm straight on this group chat because at the end of the day, bro, <laughs> dumbasses. I'm cool on this group chat because uh, you niggas ain't finna mate. And, and you know me, I get sent. All I'm gonna do is beat up a nigga because I'm right. <laughs> um, imagine being a, and then and then he'll sue me and he'll really be able to afford that Rolex and that and that and that Mercedes. It's all making sense. I, I mean, to answer your question <laughs> before your uh, your your post rant, um, I think there's different ways you can think about it. I think uh, there's beauty in something called quiet luxury right now. Mm. And which is what I go tell for. me about that, Trey. Yeah, tell and me so about that because I need to know. You see it on Succession. You see it on Billions. And so there's not a lot of logos. And so we're getting away from showing people we have money. They say that's when you know that's when you know that you've hit a another layer or you got into another stratosphere financially. You're not that's looking real. to show off your money. And so I recently bought a watch, and it was just like. This is my last gift to myself. One of the last gifts to myself in, in quite some time. It's a watch that I can wear every day that no one knows what it is, but I can appreciate it. And you don't even have, you don't know, you have no idea how much it's worth. And me speaking, I'm only speaking on it because it's not like nobody come cut my arm off because it ain't that valuable. It ain't worth going to jail over, I'm going to be honest with you. But it's, it's something I can appreciate, right? Something I can appreciate. But it's the same with a bag that I have, you know, like I bought two bags. One's like my um, briefcase where I can hold two computers in to do my work in. Another one's like my, like a carry on bag, um, whatever you want to call it, like a bag bag. And they're both time four bags. And so, yes, they're a little expensive, but I know I can go the next five to 10 years and I'm only carrying these two bags around. And they're like, they're like beautiful leather and they're not like crazy. Like you won't know what it is unless I just said time for it. Like you, you have no idea what it is. And so mm-hmm. I go back when I try to answer questions like that, like how do I save money? And I know I'm not talking to you specifically, but to certain people, I always mm-hmm. ask him, what's the psychology behind why you want something? So like, why do you want a Mercedes or why do you want a Rolex? Do you want a Mercedes because the Germans make the best cars on earth and it's probably the best ride you'll ever get and you probably won't have as much crazy maintenance depending on which one you get or the service that comes with it? Yeah, there is a certain, I'm not even talking about the status of it because you and I, we have our status regardless. It's convenience for us as well. Like everything that goes on in our world that we live in, we got the answers on why we get that car. But to other people who can't afford it, it's like, wait, what's the difference between this and a Honda Accord? Because the new Hondas, I've been in a few of those. They are nice. Bro, I'm like, damn, bro, this and nice Kia, and, and Bro, and Kia is going crazy too. Like, yeah. So like, 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 it ain't a, it ain't a bad car. A Bronco? It's yeah, not a bad bro, car out there. Bronco? Yeah. Cars are yeah. turned up right now too. Bro. Them niggas doing their thing with cars too. So it ain't like you missing Apple Play or some bullshit. Like every car got half a sunroof. Like you know what I mean? Right. So it's yeah. like what what is there where yeah. you about to risk and ruin a friendship because you called your homie to co-sign a Mercedes you can't afford? <laughs> Nobody in the group chat has done that, but I. Oh no 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 people. no! I'm not even saying group chat. No no, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying a, that out loud because. Yeah. I'm speaking to people who have asked me to co-sign cars for them. And I'm like, bro, 
just because I'm a fan of, of, of what you do does not give you the audacity to ask me to co-sign on something that is a $50,000 down payment. I'm like, oh, I'm not a fan of your music anymore. <laughs> because bro, everything I, you've been rapping about is a lie. <laughs> bro, fuck, bro, fuck, bro. I didn't have friends when they asked me to do shit. I'm like, bro, can I just give you this bread and you do something smart with it? Like, words of mother. Like, can I just, like, out of everything you asked me, can we just go see what a down payment on a crib in the hood is? Like, can we just do that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and that's not nothing off the chance. It's just like, bro, you, you here asking me, eyes are like to make some shit happen. It's going to take years of work or formulate or whatever. It's just like, no, my G, like, you don't have space to gamble when you're not where you want to be at. Like, right. so my whole thing is just like, go for the win. You know what I'm saying? Yes. yes. But yes. it's funny you brought up S&P, bro, because I do want to get to this car <laughs> situation when they were talking about. Yes, sir. Because this is kind of crazy to me. So if somebody was like, hell no, like, what, what car should I buy? I'd be like, man, fuck that shit, too. But they were <laughs> saying... If you go by the 110 rule, so wait, no, Ashley said vehicle recommendations based on the, uh, on basically on like the 110 rule car buying. So they're saying like, if you made $25,000 a year, they suggest you take the bus, a scooter, an e-bike, walk, subway, or carpool. That's aggressive. They let's, say, let's live in New York. <laughs> yeah, true. It said 25 to 50K, you should have a 6 to 10-year-old uh, used economy vehicle or a scooter. If you make 50 to $100,000 a year, your car should be 3 to 5 years old, and it should be an economy vehicle or a motorcycle if you're feeling dangerous. <laughs> Damn, now, this is where it's crazy. If you make 100 to 200 a year, they suggest you get a Mazda 3, a Toyota Yaris, a Kia Rio, or motorcycles. Fast and or another furious. motorcycle. Yeah. This shit crazy. If you make, <laughs> all right, let's just say if you make like anywhere from 200 to a quarter, they suggesting a Honda Accord, Toyota Camry, or a Ford Fusion. Ford Fusion's all right if you're under six feet. If you make anywhere from a quarter million to a half million, they say this is where you can start getting to the Mercedes Benz E350, so the baby yeah. joint, mm -hmm. the Lexus ES, the baby joint, the Lexus RS. That's all right. The Acura TLX, that was straight. Or the 4150, if you feel Napoleonic. But you can go for <laughs> That's a great turn. Anywhere for a, for a half million to a million, they suggest a BMW M4. Damn, that's crazy. An Audi S5, a Range Rover Sport, or a Maserati Jabili. That's hard. Mm. And then this is where you can start anywhere from a million up. They suggest you can get a Mercedes-Benz 550, Porsche 911. BMW M5 or an Audi Q7. And then if you make 1.5, that's when you can touch the Tesla Model X, a Lambo, mm. or a Bentley Continental. Mm. That's crazy, G. So this is why I see why niggas be like, fuck what they talking about, G. So you make a quarter million dollars a year. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can't. Turn... <laughs> see why niggas be like, fuck what they talking about. You make a quarter million dollars a year, you trying to eat class me? Oh, you crazy. You might as well live homeless. Oh. <laughs> nah, I, nah, I hear you. Nah, shout out to the group chat, bros. I love I love the rebellion, fam. It couldn't have been me, but it might have been. You feel what I'm saying? That's why, oh, G, they bogus. This take me back. We're going to vote in G, but like, that's not right, fam. 
That's how a certain guy that's how certain guys feels towards your sentiments on it as well, though. So so nah, but so. then but but no, but then you, you mix that in. <laughs> we're just talking about a car. Like you read some of this stuff, we're talking about the economy right now. Like there's people out there that got two people working full-time jobs and, and they might not be able to own, own their house. So I'm just saying the economy's tight, wow, but like so now you see why people get married. Twenty because you gotta have dual incomes. That's real, bro. That's real. And now, shit, that's a whole nother topic. But, but you know what's funny is that I'm I'm actually all for this. So I have a Tesla X that I still got the full steering because with. you make more than it says you make more than one point five. So you're allowed no. to have a Tesla X. No, 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 no. I got the Tesla when I was making fifteen million a year or whatever it was. I'm saying that's how long I've had this car. I still got the full steering wheel. Now they on the half joints. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah I, that's wild. I, I, I still drive the same car, but I move different. So how I move is like, I don't really care. I need to get to where I got to go. And having an electric car in California is the car to have. So I got the electric car. And they're not upgrading like that. I mean, you get the upgrades over the internet software. And yeah, I know it's a cool it's a cool um, look with the half steering wheel and things of that nature. But yeah. like- I don't want nobody to see me no way. I ain't trying no, to be bothered. That's, <laughs> that, that's like my Range Rover. So, you know, I had the Range, I had the Rari, and I had the uh, the Wraith. Mm-hmm. So, somebody crashed the Rari. So, I just got my bread back from that. The Range I bought in 2015 is one of the first wheelbases, like the long wheelbase. Oh, yeah. So, literally, gee, I, I only got like 33,000 miles on it because I used to drive my car seasonally. I haven't mm-hmm. drove a car, driven a car in like six months, but like... And I'll, I'm on a, I'm on a list for like the new Escalade next year, but like I only have one car that I haven't seen and I haven't driven. And to be honest with you, it's a 2015, and like yeah. I used to have a Wraith, I used to have a Rari and shit. But it's just like now nah, I really shit. I, there's when I every time I thought about buying a new car, it's like bro, I don't drive. The insurance yeah. is a motherfucker, and then I'm just I just drove every fucking car. Like we say this because nigga, I met you with a Bentley Flying Spur. Like yeah. Rahul say I don't want much. I drove every car. Some uh, nice cooked meal, some nice clean nice draws. Clean draws. Like, shit, that's all. That's all a nigga want. And then every now and then, like shit, if 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 I'm a goyard the goyard the bag, kiss my ass. You know what I mean? Yo, you spitting? Because the one thing that is most important to me is two things that are very very important to me: the underwear I wear and the pajamas I sleep in. That's so, real. I did go luxury on my sleepwear. Like I wear some silk pajamas. And oh, there's this new product I have. I got a free one. They sent me a free one. I never hooked it up for like two years. And it was tough for me to sleep on the East Coast. And so I've gotten this new sleeping aid. And it's the coldest thing I've ever seen. Like it keeps my temperature. It keeps the temperature of my bed like at a certain temperature. Oh, like you I, told me that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You told me that do matter. I've been I've been sweating in bed for like the like the last 15 years. So I probably need bro, something like that. Bro, fam, this this thing, like, and I don't need. Yo, I went to see Jerry Seinfeld. I, I ain't tell you that. Who would have thunk that I'm going to see Jerry Seinfeld? I went to go see a stand up. Oh, did Yo, he, you? Went, he went crazy, bro. Was you got to see. Yeah. He liked the white Chris Rock. Man, Jerry on the streets, bro. I ain't seen Jerry be a dick so much. I'm like, man, I'm straight on Jerry Seinfeld. I'm, and, and, and I know how some of these shows came about with their concepts and who they got them from. 
And so I never rock with it. I never watched Seinfeld. I never watched Friends. But this thing was incredible. Like I, I, I the money I spent was well worth it. Like I would have spent more. Uh, it was really, it was a good that's time. Legit. But he went on, he went yeah, in on, uh, he went in on aura rings. And um, this uh, this this bed machine that I got, it takes its place. So it was, it's well worth so it. That's, I mean, I'm a, seen, that's an extravagant luxury that you're balling off of, huh? <laughs> yeah, this this thing's expensive as hell, man. I didn't know it was that expensive. It was like three grand for this, but it's well worth it. Like I'm getting my money's worth because I got to be alert and I got to go to work, work now. Like I got to really be at work. So every every no, minute counts. Yeah, every minute counts. That's real. I just hope the people got some good insights and take it to heart, but don't take it too to heart on your spending purchases and habits. Like no, fuck that, bro. What do you mean? <laughs> don't take it to heart, bro. Like. Let's let's just make like you govern yourself. Like the same way I be talking shit and like when niggas get on my ass, I'm like, all right, I gotta chalk that up. Like, nah, bro, shut the fuck up. Like when I go into rooms and shit, I can't talk to anybody any type of way. When I do, <laughs> karma gonna kick me in the ass. Like, mind you, like you got rich niggas worried about having calm luxury. Why do you like I gotta go to Dior as somebody that made so much money? And worry about the broke nigga up the street having the same print I got on. Almost <laughs> to the point now my homie's talking about, yeah, I got to stay low key. And, you know, I can't buy D- Dior print for Dior print because everybody that ain't supposed to be involved, but they deserve to be involved is fucking up my steez. Now the next story is why I bought a $3,000 cashmere sweater. Because you niggas in, they came into the the Centurion Lounge, the Delta <laughs> Sky Lounge, and and and... And, we'll save and that now conversation. The game is, and again, no, no. Nope. Right. We're saving that conversation because, listen, I'm for I'm for equality, being African American male in America. Okay, but I listen like that. You not never. Just certain things you can't have. You ain't gonna fuck Madonna. It's just anything you ain't gonna have. And that's I it. hate I hate going to the airport, right? And they just keep adding layers to to get around nonsense in the airport for me. For me. Cause like the next person that touches my shoulder in the airport, I'm gonna lose it, right? All right, I'm not I'm not flying private because it doesn't make sense to me how much it costs, okay? And it tears up the the economy, it tears up the earth. Now, if I go to that place, then I might fly private. I ain't gonna lie, but for now, I can't afford to fly private. I, you get if I save every legal single last dime I ever had playing basketball, I still can't afford being flying private. Like that's just my this is my personal opinion. But please, people, like let me breathe in peace in the airport. And but the issue the issue here is they got to get these lounges right. Like the Centurion Lounge is the most packed lounge I've ever seen. I'm like everybody yeah. has an Amex. Yeah. Everybody has an Amex. No, and it's at the point now. It's almost like even when you board the plane, bro. First class, you they didn't move first class back so much. You board with Group One. Like you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? So then when you sit here, you like, bro. So why am I seat three? I'm I'm the 28th nigga on the plane. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? It started to come to the point where it's just like, what, what? I'm cool with, like, if I, I get left off shit all the time. I get the you lower end of the stick all the time. Like, inclusion, though, ain't for everything. Like, there's levels and there's pyramids. But it's like, at this certain point now, my nigga, I have a black card. You only went to the Centurion Lounge, like, once for the simple fact of the matter. Just, like, it's too crowded. It's like going to a club now. Every nigga got a man that worked work over here so that the VIP line packed. But the regular line to pay $10 to get in, it's motherfucking short. You know what I mean? Like, y'all niggas get the fuck out the way, bro. There's 12 tables in there. There's 80 niggas in line. 
Not everybody got the table under their name. Hey, Bob, before I digress, because I've been working so much that I don't even get haircuts anymore. What's our barber's name? John. John Oyasani. John Oyasani or something. It's like John Oyasani or something. Yes, yes, yes. Good this guy. is this is when you know you're you're overworked. Uh, uh, I need a pedicure. I need a manicure. All the stuff you say that we should have as luxuries. I don't even get haircuts anymore. This is I'm getting a haircut. I'm setting it up right now. Um, you sure, man. But hair, how, that is another topic in terms of our business discussion. All right, we got a little bit more time on our hands. How much should I be spending on haircuts? Because I can't go to the barbershop. I, I mean, because no, so, that's a commute. I think it's about- I don't have- Go ahead. It's a personal- To be honest with you, G, like, I had a conversation with a barber. He's like, bro, sometimes I'll leave the shop. If I get cut, let's just say I'm going for an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever. He's like, show up, eyes are, I'm going to do parking. He's like, parking is 25 to $30. That's off rip. Then leaving the shop, I'm probably missing, let's just say it's $40 a cut. I'm probably missing two or three cuts. Mm-hmm. Let's just call that 100. Let's call that 150 so far. Then when you come up in there, you go through there around that time. It's like, you might do, might be arguing, only give you $50 from a, a house cut. Now you're 100 in a hole. So yeah. when you sit there, you're like, what's really worth my time on top of this? It's like, it's hard. To not ask for two hundred dollars, like the nigga that's about to come cut you in New York is traveling an hour fifteen. Yeah, and then he about to go sit there and do woo out the bam. Now the the three hundred whatever is a lot, but like where I'm coming from, like for your sake is less time for your maneuver, which is mm-hmm. a two hour trip. Mm-hmm. You, you have a better chance of being comfortable and getting sleep. Mm-hmm. So like that shit priceless. Now, I mean, like, now, if you would have had hair, it would have made it worth more. Like, <laughs> No, because cause I didn't I didn't master not missing a spot in my head. So I can I can I can shave off Bro, all my you head. Your shit to, yeah, you shaved your shit the one day. It was smooth. Yeah, I'm smooth. But I can't line up my beard. So I, I just be like, yo, if I if you got a beard to me corporately, you still got to keep it tight. And so I yeah. do be needing to line it. So, nice but like, up. yeah, like, man, like, I'm, I'm on, I'm getting so close. niggas in the office line, you be shocked who can line up a beard, G. Just ask one of them niggas who can line, like, bro, one of y'all can dead ass line up a beard. I give you a hundred hours every couple of days. Watch a nigga go crazy. <laughs> no, you're probably, you're probably right. <laughs> Watch a nigga go crazy. Like, hell yeah, I'll cut that motherfucker. Yeah, you right. nigga doing it. So I used to cut John Deeble here in college. So this nigga thought, I don't know what he thought. But I really? Because I was black. I didn't cut his hair. He stopped once he realized I was fucking him up. <laughs> bro, he be like, E.T., can you line me up? I'm like, what, nigga? Sure. Bro, I'm talking about home. I'll send you pictures. Let's just do the ad reads. I fucked my nigga up. And that was one of my best friends. <laughs> Point Forward. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Point Forward Podcast. Myself, Andre Godala, my main man, Evan Turner. Uh, we are joined by a, sp- a special guest. Um, it's been a lot of talk on the financial side, you know, new contracts in the different sports worlds. Uh, NBA, obviously, we had uh, billions of dollars go around in free agency. Look at uh, football, you know, we call it soccer. Uh, we like changing units of measurements and the names of sports in America. But uh, I just recently saw a, f- a footballer, a soccer player receive a Rolex watch from a fan because he plays so well. And this is uh, the new Saudi league. So this is the new world we're in. Um, so we want to uh, take a deeper dive into finances and money and how it works and what better way 
then to have a special guest, Dean Athanasia from Bank of America, uh, uh, join us today and just have a, a conversation of athletes investing, uh, how money works, and uh, just really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, first question I got to ask, how did you end up here on Point Four with us? Wow. I, I, I'm assuming, well, well, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it, Evan. Uh, great to see you again. And uh, Andre, mm. great to be here. So I uh, appreciate it. If you're asking me, I, there's a couple of different ways to interpret that question. I, I'd say if you're asking me, how do I get in this position where I am today? Um, you know, a lot of people ask me that, you know, especially some of the young folks who joined the bank. And it's kind of tough to answer because my career is take, I could never map it out in a straight line. It's gone all over the place in different ways and uh, different uh, uh, different twists and turns. So I always say when I tell them and I talk about that, the reason I'm here today is because I failed. I failed early. I failed often. Uh, and I tried to do different things in my life. If I go back to where it started coming out of high school, and, and again, I'm not anywhere near the athlete you guys are, but plan A for me was to go to college, try to play football. That was sort of a dream of mine. I'd been playing for 15 years and try to do that. Plan B was to get into college and get a degree in engineering. And, and if uh, plan A didn't work, I'd default to plan B. Well, turns out, I didn't even get to plan B because I think I was six months into my uh, college career. I said, engineering, no, no way. I could not do this. I did, hated it. And I switched my career to uh, business and economics and followed that path. And then obviously, you know, I tried out in football. It didn't work out. Um, so I ended up back in the business world. So, and again, there's a thousands of twists and maybe we can talk about some of those in between, but in order to summarize in terms of what I tell people how I got here, I always say it's a 50-30-20 rule. 50% was choosing the career path, something I was good at, something I like to do, get involved in that, something you can, you, you know, you can get into and follow and, and you really like doing. 30% was, was sort of um, the relationships I had built along the way. It's not contrary to popular belief, it's not who you know. It's the relationships you build, and with good people, you still have to prove it every, every step of the way, but there's a lot of people that can help you along the way. And then last 20%, just pure luck, different decisions you made, different things you did. Some would say you make your own luck, but you, know, you have to be in the right place at the right time. So I long answer to the question, but that's the way I explain it, how I am here with you guys today and how I ended up here with you guys. I'll never know, but uh, that's, that's my career path. Well, well, Dean, obviously, you, you try to down yourself, uh, play yourself as an athlete, but we know you play tight end. You're part of, you know, the all-Yale all Yale team, team and everything like that. Talk to us about when you left college. You went to go try out for the L.A. Rams at the time, and, you know, obviously, you want to be an NFL player. What was it like when that didn't work out and the next steps? Did you feel like it was a little bit of bad luck that turned into luck that it got you catapulted into this business world? Or were you just like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to just jump in and see if I can make it real quick? If not, it was always going to be business. 
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I, I always remember this, and uh, thank you for the, the you know recognizing my career. I didn't think it was so great, but that's uh, thank you for that. And I, <laughs> you got to keep it alive. So many haters, you got to keep it alive. Keep you know it going. What I mean? so, yeah, my yeah, kids I'm getting may, on that. Yeah, my kids may be listening to this, so keep it up. I, I, I appreciate. <laughs> no it. Worries. I love it. You're the goat. You're the goat. <laughs> they haven't seen your uh, your your shares uh, in the company. Uh, that's public knowledge because it's a publicly traded company. That's all you need to show them. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, they don't respect anything. They don't respect that. But uh, no, I, you know what? I, I was I was playing for. I, I remember this vividly. I was out there trying out, and you know, you got to remember ninety guys trying out for fifty spots, and it's it's sort of the old days where it's like three practices a, a day, and 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 I remember standing there with my friend, and you know, we were watching this guy try out. And he was just, and I forget his name, it was a middle linebacker, was, I forget his name, just call him JB, but I remember thinking to myself, JB, and we were talking about JB, JB was trying out for the fourth time, and so he had come, he had not made it four times. I give him credit for perseverance and, and trying and following that dream, and I looked at that, and it always stuck in my head. So after I got let go, uh, the coaches... Um, and I know you guys have a lot of experiences with different coaches, and, and I've read a lot about what you talked about. But, again, they're trying to get you. They're trying to hang on to you. They're trying to get you to try out again. And so they were calling me. I didn't know it at the time. They were calling me to come back. We made a mistake. I went back out, um, you know, didn't, didn't make it, came back, and finally uh, used my career, got a job, uh, got a job in New York, and that was going pretty good for me. And I got that call again to go back and try out again in football. And I had to make that decision, Evan. I was sitting there going, okay, should I follow my dreams? Something I wanted to do 15 years. You put so much time into it. Wow, somebody really likes me enough to come back and, and, and try out. And then in the back of my head, I said, you know what? Am I the next JB? Am I the guy that is going to go out there and doesn't realize or is not self-aware enough to say, you know what, this is not for me. I'm not good enough to be out here. I'm not good enough to eventually make it. And I had to make that decision at that time because I didn't want to get too far away from the business world and and, and get out of context with that and leave uh, a job I kind of liked at the time. So right there, I made the decision, all right, I'm done with football after 15 years, couldn't make it. It was great. I tried. I gave it my all. I'm going to throw 100% into the business world, go at it, compete, and, and do the very best I can and follow that path. Tough decision to make, but I never look back, and I never do that. When I, once I make a decision, I am gone. I never look back and just go forward and go for it. And that's sort of how we ended up uh, uh, pursuing a, uh, you know, the business career. I don't know why we don't hear those stories more often. We hear all the stories of you keep trying, keep trying. I think there's a beauty in understanding that's not the path for me. And I need to stop wasting time and, you know, take my energy to a different path. But I wanted to follow up that with as an athlete and, you know, in, in, in the business world, we hear a lot about marketing and you have a lot of athletes, D1 athletes who aren't professionals, you know, they get the degrees, go to business schools. They usually get jobs in marketing for, you know, some of the top firms and, and something about being an athlete that gives them a uh, competitive advantage in that space. So as an athlete, what have you taken from, you know, being on the cusp of being a professional football player 
what have you taken uh, some of those values and, and taken to the business world? Yeah, and, and I think you're going to recognize this. And, and uh, you got to remember, too, there's a lot of people in the business world that, you know, didn't play sports, didn't, didn't get involved in a team activity, not just sports. So they're, they're more sort of individuals and they have those, those sort of traits and they're very good. But what I always say to people, like, if you're an athlete, you're going to learn, you know, you have a job to do, you have a role to play, you've got to do that well, and you've got to get along with everyone else on the team and make everyone else better, right? You have to understand where you fit in, what your role is, how to, how to uh, participate uh, with those individuals and have a relationship because you, you cannot run a business of this size and, and do it alone with one person. I think another rule is, you know, practice, practice, practice. I, I don't know who said it, but I, I loved it. You practice until you do it right every single time, not just right some of the time. So you got to take that into the business world, presentations, pitches, whatever you're doing, you've got to practice at it. The time management skills you, you all have and how to structure yourself on a day and, and how to, you know, how to prepare uh, for an event. And I'd say, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest things is how to get through adversity. You're a mm -hmm. competitor, you're competing, you're gonna have good days, you're gonna have bad days, but you gotta get up on the very next play. If you lose on, on the play before, you gotta get up, you gotta do it again, and you gotta make things happen. So I think those are all important lessons. And then the last one I'd say, if you're a leader on a team, like you, you two obviously are and were, you know, you, you've gotta know your teammates, you gotta know what how they tick, what makes them tick. You got to know their personal life. You got to you got to you know know how to care about them, and mm -hmm. you've got to know how to you know their strengths and weaknesses, and and how to make them fit as a team to get a better outcome. So, I, you guys probably all do that, and you understand that, and you've you know gone your whole career thinking about. But there are those lessons are critically important in the business world for people to learn and to, and for to be successful. So, and I think team sports, you know, drives that and, you know, instills you to learn that, uh, and, and, you know, you, you learn it for the rest of your life. And, and that's why, um, B of A did so well the last quarterly earnings. We were joking before in terms of like culture and some other places not having that built in and it's reflected of, you know, why they haven't had as much success. Uh, they're competitors, so we won't say their names. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that out. We had a good conversation beforehand. We know who they are. Great conversation. <laughs> Look, so can you take us back to, obviously, your first time, you know, leaving the sports world and everything like that. But was there any type of intimidation factor or weird prejudice? You know, you always hear the dumb athlete, dumb jock situation. How did you feel when you entered those rooms? Were you always a confident individual? Obviously, you're an Ivy League Ivy League person, but, you know, explain those times in colleges or even coming up that, aside from sports, but, you know, that prepared you to be most comfortable in those rooms. So sometimes, oftentimes when we do business, even though we have a great idea, it's hard to shed the athlete label day in and day out, even if it's amazing and lightning, you know, they think lightning struck twice and it's just a lot. Yeah. Well, I, I love when people underestimate me. I, I think that's a great. But I, I got I, I, I laughing because I got it both ways. I, you know, playing sports and going to football, I was like the egghead Yale guy, and this this guy's not gonna be able to compete. So I got that end of it. And then I, you know, then you show them you, you're okay, you can fit in. And then yeah, you get um, in the business world, you get the other side. He, he's an athlete. Is he? You know, is your? You know, I've heard all sorts of things, but. Um, and I, and I think, you know, like I said, people 
kind of un- underestimate you and you come at them, you show them what you can do and you're always out there trying to prove, I'm gonna have the best presentation, I'm gonna have the best ideas, I'm gonna you know, come up with a financial idea that's gonna make this work, I'm gonna lead people and use all the skills. So I think there's always a judgment wherever you are that people are gonna say, he can't do this, he can't do that, or they try to label you. And you just gotta fight through it every step of the way. And, and, and I still do it today. It doesn't matter where I am. You still, you still fight a little bit of the label and uh, you know, the perceptions uh, that people have of you before. Yeah. And considering you're on this big platform, you talk about judgment. Sometimes with business people, it's in silence, but how do you handle this public judgment since you, know, you are who you are? You're leading such a you know amazing company, and you know all the great things you've done and the success you had. Yeah, you're talking about sort of the press and yeah, the press and all. You know what I mean? Even just people just throwing a gun in your lap, just stuff where you're like, "Whoa, I don't even." This only have nothing to do with me. But I'm, <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I I don't, um, and you guys probably do too. Like I, I just have a thick skin. And, and I tell people, nothing really bothers me because I know who I am. I know what I do. I know how I approach things. I do it the right way. I work hard. I'm honest with people. I've got good relationships around me. So the criticism that comes at you, the sort of, you know, they, they'll toss all kinds of stuff at you. You know, you didn't do this. You didn't think of that. Or, you know, are you guys smart enough? I mean, all that. And the press is you know, probably decidedly more negative. And I think that's how they get better headlines and everything. And so, you know, they, they come at us all the time. And I, I just, you know, think in my head, look, I control what I can control. I do things the right way. I care about our communities. I care about people. I care about the people that work for me. And, and everything else, I just let it, you know, you, you got to have uh, thick skin to be uh, where you are in, in, uh, in, in some of these roles and in, you know, you're always thrown out there and uh, uh, standing alone. So it doesn't, at this point, it doesn't bother me anymore. Probably used to earlier, but not not anymore. And, and so let's let's dive deeper into your role. So you're head of uh, regional banking, correct? And so tell us, for folks that don't know, um, all the responsibilities you have with that title. Yeah, it's uh, head of uh, regional banking. It's a little bit of a misnomer because I have some international uh, entities as well. But I run, if you're looking at Bank of America, I I run all the consumer businesses. So everything out in the market, all the financial centers you see and all those things. uh, We have over 66 million clients out there in the U.S., we have, I run small business, which is over 3 million small businesses. I run the commercial bank, commercial businesses, uh, any business up to 2 billion in size. I run our retirement business. And if you are truly retired, you too, I, I want you to be uh, clients of ours in the personal retirement space. So we'll uh, we'll send you the forms after this and we'll get you all signed up. I still got my college banking account, so I'm loyal. <laughs> I forget which one. Somebody did a stint at Merrill Lynch. That might have been you. Uh, I did a stint at Merrill I'm, and I'm still... Private wealth management is at Merrill Lynch too, so it's all family. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, so I and so largely those businesses are throughout the U.S. So in all the markets throughout the U.S., uh, US about seventy thousand employees that are out there, you know, trying to help our communities, trying to help our our clients, our individual clients, trying to help businesses grow, and uh, um, and and that's what we do, and have a lot of fun doing it. And and so I, you know, I want to dive deeper into that in terms of. I've invested in a lot of tech companies and 
you know, right now the fintech space, you know, it stalled a little bit in terms of investments or growth. You've seen some down rounds uh, as well. You see some stock prices um, reflect that as well. How do you think about the incumbents or the tech space, which is essentially disruption? Um, you know, you've seen different places where you can, you know, invest uh, different, you know, you got the, the companies are struggling, the loan companies are struggling, the startup loan companies are struggling a little bit with interest rates. But how are you thinking in terms of, you know, uh, you know, we talk about SWAT, you know, what, what class was that? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. So how are you thinking about the threats um, in, in, in terms of uh, your competition? And as usual, you throughout generations, we have these companies who grow to be very big and then they get disrupted. And before we know it, we don't see this company anymore. Um, and so how, how do you think about continuing to grow the company and continue to have that advantage? And, and um, fintechs, we, we saw that trend coming early and often a long time ago. So uh, I think back a while back, we so within the operation that I do, when you're talking about fintechs, we have a huge digital bank. And we invested billions of dollars in our digital capabilities. So we thought that was going to be the wave of the future. And we could compete against all the fintechs who do a great job. They come in. It's easy to use, simplicity. They're starting from scratch. So we we knew we had um, those were their strengths, uh, but they also had weaknesses. They didn't have scale. They had to build up. They had to you know acquire clients and things like that, which we already had. So we we looked at that and said, okay, we're going to get much more nimble. We're a huge entity. We're going to get nimble. We're going to invest in technology. We're going to make make a connection digitally to both our personal clients and our business clients. Uh, that way we could communicate uh, not just when they walked into our financial centers. We could do that, and we could connect with them digitally. So we pumped a ton of money into it, and now we have the biggest digital bank, uh, consumer bank in the U.S. or in the world. So that was our – but, you know, it happened – Starting over, you know, seven years ago, we started that and we sort of built it up along the way, knowing what you know now is like, look, these fintechs are going to come in and try to disrupt us. How do we how do we prevent that? Well, we've got to invest and we've got to attack our own weaknesses and, and make them our strengths over time. And and so I think we can compete with anyone anywhere on the ground and then via digitally. So, you know, great question. And uh, we're prepared for that one. I also want to dive into while you're not doing so much of the business stuff, I've seen some of the things you did in regards to uh, your philanthropic work. So uh, even the stuff the, with the cradle to uh, Crayola and those uh, situations. How uh, how'd you come about that aside from, you know, running everything with Bank of America and digital marketing and everything aside? How do you find time to do that along with being a dad and all that? Yeah, um, you know, that started, Cradles to Crayons started, I started going there early on volunteering and... I was used to, and we all should do, we all give money to different charities of our choice, and, and I know you guys do that too. And Kratos for me was something I could get hands on. And you go in and you collect clothing for impoverished kids and kids that um, you know were looking to deal with clothing and security. But we do it with class and honor, and we have, you know, our, our thing is we have to have good clothes, not just any clothes, really good clothes for kids to grow up and not feel insecure about what they're wearing so they can deal with everything else going on in their lives. So that was the goal of it. It was one thing I could get in. I could do it hands-on. You know, you can volunteer and you can and you can distribute clothes and collect clothes. But then I started getting into it and I said, wow, this is uh, – this." 
this charity, this organization, everything I do in the business world, we should be helping this company do and I can do. And I brought, uh, you know, in my team, we brought a lot of the things we've learned in the business world to help this organization grow. So we started out in Boston, we're in Philly, we're in Chicago, we're in New York. Uh, we launched a whole digital element of it where you don't even have to come in and, and uh, to collect clothes. You get, we could distribute and collect clothes digitally and get them out to markets all in the United States. So I think we've uh, now distributed clothing to children in need in over 48 states uh, out there and, uh, and started right here. So we continue. It was something I could just get in and grow and help with uh, and contribute back to the community um, that has given so much to me. So I wanted to sort of give back in yeah. some way. And, and uh, like you said prior to all the, you know, analytics from that and, you know, going out and seeing the people and stuff, that's affected your job, you know, in a positive way and, and everything. How, how deep does that go? Like when you go back in certain instances, are you like, wait, we bring up certain moments and forgive me if it comes off aggressive, but like even back in the day with, you know, amongst blacks or whatever, the redlining situation. Like, does it come back in that moment where, you know, how do you feel about that? But are you sometimes looking back on it being like, yo, how the hell did situations like this happen to these people in this moment, you know? Absolutely. I, you know, we're out in over 200 markets uh, in the U.S. About 30 of those, 30 percent of those are um, low to moderate income markets that we want to do. In our, in our thing, uh, Evan, is that we want to build a company build a community so we want to reflect the communities that we serve and so um, at this level I can we can go in and we can put financial centers in those communities which brings jobs it brings opportunity um, and we we want to keep those resources out there and help and help those communities uh, but we do it in a number of different ways you know we sort of yes we are a bank we lend money we we uh, help transact, but we also we also bring in jobs to those communities. Uh, Seventy percent uh, of the people that work in um, the financial centers I support are diverse, and so again they reflect everything out there. The management is diverse as well, so they're helping the communities, and uh, um, they're bringing jobs. They're volunteering. They're doing all sorts of things out there, and so we we try to live that way. We try to create a company. Uh, that reflects that. And do we have things to work on? Absolutely, uh, as everyone does. But we, you know, we wake up every day saying, you know, how can we help our communities? How can we make it better? What else should we be doing? And, and uh, it's a super positive attitude that we try to to, to bring everywhere we go. Yeah. I was wondering how, not saying difficulty of it, because there's also, from your side, from a point, um, when it comes down and deciding how you can help and especially trying to make something diverse, like I said, in a leadership position where you're dealing with, uh, you know, sometimes problems that were already set prior to, besides, uh, you know, having to elevate the company, how difficult was that to kind of break into like a diverse market and kind of reteach yourself or try to understand a different demographic? I mean, that's a unique thing to do amongst while running a top, top company. And it's a great question. And um, I have the benefit of traveling all over the country and seeing different communities and being there physically and actually seeing. But I also sort of surround myself with diverse people of different backgrounds who've um, come up, you know, far different from me and far different from any, you know. And, and so 
by having that around you, you have diversity of thought, diversity of ideas, diversity of background, the approach is different. And I let those people on the ground, you know, tell me what, tell us, inform us of what we should be doing, right? Have them be leaders on the ground. And I always say, run your financial center like it's your own small business out there in the market. You've got clients, you've got to take care of those people. Tell me what you need. Every market's different. And so you, you learn so much by doing that. And what I try to not do is dictate from the top uh, with my own you know, views of what I'm seeing. Uh, it, it's just the wrong way to do it. So it's sort of a more of a bottoms up approach and allow, you know, empower people to make those changes and tell us what we should be doing. So you're an athlete and you just signed a $350 million contract. Can you break down? All guaranteed. All guaranteed. That's how we do it in the league. How do you, how do you break down the diversification of your portfolio, including, you know, your passion projects, you know, your, your safety net, you know, uh, your family leads, considering the backgrounds that you've seen being able to travel across the country, low income backgrounds. And, you know, there is a responsibility to, you know, there, that's our philanthropic, um, ventures. And I think it gets misconstrued with the perception, you know, why would you take care of so many people? You know, why would you give back to this? Why would you give back to that? Why are all your friends around? Why are you taking care of your family members? That's essentially, you know, our philanthropic endeavor, you know, taking care of the less fortunate, especially those that took care of, of us coming forward. I think we have to do a better job of explaining that, but that's particularly the situation. And so for you, you know, trying to put yourself in those shoes, you know, what do you do with $350 million? <laughs> Net. <laughs> wow. Not gross. Not gross. I could never spend that in my lifetime, so I would have fun giving that away to different charities and different things. And uh, and uh, you know, I, I've never thought about that, but um, you know, I, I I do know. Look, I take care of my family, and then um, my goal is uh, everyone's sort of in good stead, and I'm, my extended family. And then I, I don't, you know, I don't plan to, you know. I'm not the person that's going to die with you know hundreds of millions of dollars. I, I, my plan is sort of to to sort of give it away slowly and have fun doing mm -hmm. it, whether it's cradles to crayons or some other. But that's just me. I mean, I'm just mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. sort of everyone's different and how they do that. Um, but if you have 350 million dollars, you're at the 0.1 percent of the entire uh, U.S. So it's very very small percentage up there. I will say though, for my kids going up and. They're coming up, uh, one's out there in the workforce, two are in college, but my thing is, look, let's teach, I need to teach them budgeting, I need to teach them financial discipline. They don't, they don't get things from me, they've gotta make their own way, they've gotta, they've gotta make it on their own, they've gotta get their, their job going. So teaching them you know, how to budget, how to time management, how to spend in the right way, how to save in, in, you know, for a raining day, and then how to save for the long-term eventual retirement. It starts on your first job, and I would tell that to anyone. And I think a lot of people out there in the U.S. miss that, and they get caught up in, I have to have this, I have to have that, at any income level, and they miss sort of the fundamentals and the basics. So what we, what we try to teach is a little bit of a financial discipline, no matter where you are in that spectrum. Uh, save, make sure you save, make sure you put it away. You know, a lot of people can't do that, so don't overburden yourself with debt. And, and all those sort of lessons, and we have a whole thing called Better Money Habits. We try to 
bring people through that. And it doesn't matter at any income level, you see those same issues uh, happening through and through. So that's another, you know, financial literacy and things like that. We go into schools and teach and help kids mm -hmm. understand that and, and not to go down the wrong path. So that's another big one for me as well. Well, well Dean, we appreciate the time. We appreciate the lessons. Um, you, you dropped a lot of gems in terms of culture is, is key to having success in the company, um, giving back to the right folks, uh, sticking to your principles and your values and, um, you know, having the right mindset or I would say uh, your thesis is everything and, and your values are reflected in your thesis and it's been reflected in the uh, stock price. You can do the right things and still have success as a fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders. So appreciate the time uh, and the knowledge and uh, thanks for joining Point Forward. Yeah, I appreciate all the good words. Thank you guys both. I really appreciate being on and uh, great thoughts and, and thanks for having me. Yeah, Dean, I see you, I see you courtside in Boston. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you come to Boston, we'll, we'll we'll grab some courtside seats. How's that? Uh, yes, say less. Oh, that's recorded. I'll be there too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you're on. Thank you, Thank you yes, guys. Yes, all right, yes, sir. Without a ball, it's just a court, and without your spirit, it's only a game. So. Together with the fans, we bring our best. For your next pregame, let's share a twist on a classic, the Hennessy Margarita, a squeeze of fresh lime juice and a bit of agave syrup, topped off with ice and a salted rim. Mix it, shake it, pour it, and enjoy the spirit of the NBA. Hennessy, without your spirit, it's only a game. 21 and older, please drink responsibly. 